You are listening to a podcast from The National. Upon arrival into Sri Lanka's international airport, you are greeted by posters of the new Prime Minister of Sri Lanka, Mahinda Rajapaksa. As taxis buzz outside and you enter the city, surrounded by tuk-tuks, the heavens opened up and the rain falls as you enter central Colombo. Just a mile away from the Prime Minister's office is the Prime Minister's official residence, Temple Trees, where thousands of supporters have surrounded their embattled leader. Inside the Temple Trees compound, Buddhist monks chant 24 hours a day. As protesters mill around and defenders talk to each other about their fears for the future of their country. That was national correspondent Jack Moore's arrival in Sri Lanka over the weekend. The South Asian island nation once made headlines for its bitter 26-year civil war between the government and the Tamil Tigers, who fought for a separate state for ethnic Tamils in the north and east of the island. But since the war ended in 2009, Sri Lanka has been more renowned as a burgeoning tourist destination than a conflict zone. With its white sand beaches, colourful temples and abundance of wild elephants, Sri Lanka's tourism growth has been world-leading, and more than 2.3 million tourists visited last year. There's been trouble in this island paradise over the past two weeks, though. President Mathrapala Sirisena dismissed Prime Minister Ranil Wickremesinghe and appointed former President Mahinda Rajapaksa in his place. It's not clear, though, that the president had the authority to make such a move, and the former prime minister has refused to vacate his residence, which has left Sri Lanka in the unusual position of having two men claiming to be prime minister at the same time. We sent Jack to find out what's going on. So, Jack... Thanks for joining us. He's um, coming to us now from Colombo. Sounds like extraordinary scenes there that you've been seeing. Jack, what's the situation now in, in Colombo with two men claiming to be prime minister? Yeah, so Renil Wickremesinghe has refused to budge. He is sitting in the official prime minister's residence known as Temple Trees, surrounded by thousands of supporters and he is refusing to move. He says he is still the legitimate Prime Minister of Sri Lanka. He has a majority in Parliament still, he says, and he is calling on President Sirisena to convene Parliament as soon as possible to prove he has that majority. Now, the President has delayed convening Parliament until the 14th of November, when there will finally be a vote. But that will come three weeks after his announcement, and people believe here that the delay is to help Rajapaksa caught the support that he needs to get a majority in Parliament. Now, just one mile away from Temple Trees, where the situation's quite tense, Rajapaks is working out of the Prime Minister's office, and he effectively believes that he is the legitimate Prime Minister of Sri Lanka. But I spoke to the Foreign Minister yesterday, and he said he has to prove it in Parliament. Now, whether he wins that majority or not remains unclear. At the moment, it seems that they do not have the majority they need, and there are accusations that the Rajapaksa party is trying to buy lawmakers from the incumbent prime minister's side to come over. One lawmaker last week claimed that he was offered $2.8 million to switch sides and a ministerial position. Now, the Rajapaksa camp denies any vote buy-in, but Ranil Wickremesinghe's cabinet members and ministers at Temple Trees are adamant that this is happening. And 
at the moment, seven lawmakers from Wickremesinghe's side have defected to Rajapaksa's side. So, yeah, there are two governments ultimately working in parallel right now in Colombo, and there's so much confusion about who is actually leading the country. And the country's political elite remains paralyzed until the 14th of November, essentially. So did the president have the power under Sri Lanka's law to actually replace the prime minister like that? So his decision has divided opinion here in Colombo. You know, the Rajapaksa Sirisena camp say that it was constitutional, but the incumbent prime minister's camp says it was undemocratic, unconstitutional, and effectively the first coup in Sri Lanka's history. Now, the view of constitutional experts is that the decision was unconstitutional because in 2015, after President Sirisena won the election, him and the Prime Minister passed an amendment to the Constitution, known as the 19th Amendment, which diluted the executive's powers. Now, in that dilution, the President can no longer remove the Prime Minister unless certain conditions are met. One of those is that he fails to have a majority in Parliament. But that has not happened. He hasn't been voted out in Parliament. He says he still has a majority and he wants to prove it by getting the majority. Now, the President's camp, Foreign Minister I spoke to yesterday, say that when Sirisena removed his alliance from their coalition, that's how this began two weeks ago, he pulled his party out of their coalition. The cabinet became defunct. And they say that when the cabinet becomes defunct, then so does the prime minister. And he no longer holds the legitimate right to be the prime minister of the country. Now, I spoke to constitutional experts yesterday, and they say, in that case, the president should have allowed Wickremesing the chance to form his own cabinet and to show that he has the right votes in parliament and that he has confidence behind a new cabinet. The president did not allow that to happen. And that's why people here believe that he has shaped this crisis to get Rajapaksa into power, to be his right-hand man, and to solidify his support um, in what many believe to be an undemocratic uh, power grab. So it sounds like it'll come down to who has the commands the more votes in Parliament, and you talk about the situation dividing Sri Lanka. How are sort of ordinary Sri Lankans reacting to this power struggle playing out in the capital? So, yeah, the situation is tense in the capital. People are confused. They're annoyed. Um, but also it's important to remember that Mahindra Rajapaksa is still very popular. So he is Sinhalese. He's from the largest ethnic group in Sri Lanka. And he is revered by the Sinhalese for ending the civil war in 2009, sometimes referred to as the tiger killer, for defeating the Tamil Tigers. But there's also a lot of anger here. And people aren't angry at Wick Remising leaving office if he does. He's actually quite unpopular here because of his economic policies. And after Rajapaksa gave China so many infrastructure projects for high-interest loans, he actually gave China a 99-year lease on a deep-sea port in southern Sri Lanka, which created a lot of anger here that he was giving away sovereign Sri Lankan territory to China. So actually, he's pretty unpopular. But what people are angry about here is 
an attack on their democracy. People here that I speak to on the street say that their vote means nothing now. Where it meant something before to them, it now means little. They voted Rajapaksa out in 2015, only three years later for him to come back. So they're confused at how you can exercise your vote, and then three years later, the very man you, you hope to get rid of can just walk straight back in. Now, on, the, on October 30th, uh, 20,000 people amassed here in Sri Lanka and in, in Colombo for protest against what happened. Now, 20,000 people in a city of three quarters of a million may not sound like a lot, but I'm told here by people that that was a, a major event, that that does not usually happen. And what we've seen now is a counter protest by Rajapaksa supporters. So yesterday, Rajapaksa bust in people from all over the country and they marched near parliament. And yeah, they're, now there are counter marches and there are fears here that if the counter marches continue, that's when violence could break out. But from what people tell me is that it's going to be relatively peaceful until November 14th. Depending on what the outcome is, tensions could skyrocket. If it's shown that someone has won through backhanded means. But at the moment, it's just more people are waiting to see what happens. People believe that Parliament will be convened and that this crisis will be resolved by the 14th of November. Now, you mentioned Rajapaksa's role in ending the uh, civil war in 2009. How do Tamils feel about him coming back? Tamils are very worried about his return, understandably. This is a man that, at the end of the civil war in 2009, allegedly ordered the killing of tens of thousands of people in a bid to end that very civil war. Now, Tamils, for the last three years, under the current government, have enjoyed better freedoms. They've been able to commemorate those they lost in the civil war. They have felt less military presence in the north and the east, and they've had a peaceful, quiet life almost for the last three years. There's still some reports of harassment in the north by police, but compared to the Rajapaksa era, they've had it good. So to see him come back for them is quite galling, and the Tamils I spoke to are concerned that there will be revenge for them because they voted out Rajapaksa in 2015. The minorities are who helped him to lose their election. So they're worried that there could be greater suppression, uh, greater intimidation, greater harassment, and they're also worried about, you know, greater militarization in the north and the east. Even though that no Tamil insurgent has fired a bullet or exploded a bomb against Sri Lankan forces since the end of the civil war in 2009. But they are understandably worried. And one case study of how they're worried was I was speaking to a Tamil store owner, as I wrote in my piece the other day, and he was standing next to a Sinhalese friend. And I'm just asking him how he feels about the situation. He says, this is a better situation. The situation is getting better. And his friend walks away. And then he begins, you know, gesticulating and full of energy and starts telling me how he really feels. And he's saying, you know, suppression will come back. And a day earlier, Rajapaksa had gone to visit the temple that sat behind his store. And he said, 
they, everyone had to leave. Everyone had to go. And under Wickremising, that just didn't have to happen. Um, people here see that Wickremising was an honest man, a man who wanted to probe the crimes that the Rajapaksa regime were accused of. But now that he's back, they fear that there will be no justice for the crimes that the, the Rajapaksa regime committed in the civil war and that the lands that were taken from Tamils in the north and the east will not be returned. So, depending on the vote on the 14th, it could go either way for the Tamils. The Tamils could have a very hard future ahead of them, or they could continue with Wickremising, who's been actually quite good for them. And as I wrote in my piece, the Tamil majority party, the Tamil National Alliance, actually controls 17 seats in parliament, and they have said they will vote against Rajapaksa, and they could be the ones who swing it in favour of Wickremising, because at the moment, they're about 102 seats each, neck and neck. So it, take, it will take a party like the TNA to shift the balance. Now, journalists also appear to be worried about a potential return of suppression if uh, Rajapaksa does indeed return can you tell me how they've been affected so far in this story? Yeah, so 30 minutes after Rajapaksa was sworn in by the president, uh, trade unionists allied to Rajapaksa stormed a building called Lake House, and that's the main state broadcasting building in the country, similar to the British Broadcasting House in London. And this building holds five newspapers, a couple of broadcasters, and they went from newsroom to newsroom directing editorial policy to those papers, changing front pages, changing cartoons, changing op-eds, you name it. And they basically changed the front pages to the next day to be uh, lavishing praise on Rajapaksa and not mentioning that Renil Wickremesing was refusing to leave office and staying in his residence. So journalists have been censored immediately. I'm told that when there's a change of government, it's typical here for state newspapers and state broadcasts to change their allegiances, but it's just the manner of how it was done so quickly before a parliamentary vote had taken place. Storming the offices with big men, you know, telling 70-year-old women and elderly men what to do, um, and moving them around forcefully, apparently. It was very autocratic, and it was a sign, some people said, of what the Rajapaksa regime will look like. So they've been impacted, and already some journalists have resigned. Uh, so I spoke to the New York Times correspondent here, Darisha, and she's the editor of a Sunday paper there, and she resigned immediately. She couldn't be, you know told what to put on the front page. It had to be independent. So they've been affected. And under Rajapaksa's regime, from 2005 to 2015, journalists were harassed, intimidated. Uh, some were abducted. Uh, even journalists who wanted to give evidence against his regime for corruption were killed. One guy was shot dead on the streets here in Colombo in 2009. So they fear that that regime of terror will return and press freedom will be silenced here. I spoke to other journalists, one who is now refusing to write anymore because it could cause him too many problems. 
And if he did write, he says he'd know where the line would be. He would self-censor to the point where he wouldn't get any trouble. So people were already fearing uh, Rajapaksa's return. And those who were open during the last three years are worried that there could be repercussions for them. For example, Darisha helped play a role in the that bombshell New York Times story in June that Rajapaksa was taking Chinese loans in return for the port in his hometown that he was giving them. Uh, Rajapaksa, at a press conference, held up a photo of her and singled her out. And she started to receive abuse online from his supporters. And she said that she's not scared, but she's also... She is anxious about the situation and she's worried about what could come. So, yeah, it's a bad time for journalists here, indeed. And it sounds like Rajapaksa is close to China, but what about other you know, international reactions to his return and, um, and the way in which he's been sort of brought back into power? Has there been much of an international reaction? Yeah, so... The Western reaction has been quite unified. So the United States, Britain, and the European Union have all called on the president to reconvene parliament as soon as possible and without delay. And that international pressure actually brought the vote forward. So the vote was set to take place on the 16th of November, and the president had suspended parliament until that day. They brought it forward by two days to try and alleviate some of the pressure from the international community. Now, India has been very quiet about the situation, and so has China. China was actually the only country to congratulate Rajapaksa on his victory, but the Chinese ambassador here also visited Temple Trees and visited Wickremesing. India and China want to show that they are willing to work with either party because they know they can't take one side now because they don't know what the political elite of Sri Lanka will look like by next, you know, by December. So they need to show that they're happy to work with both parties. While the West, they don't want Sri Lanka to move closer to China. And with Rajapaksa's return, it is set to move very close to China again, like it was under his last rule. So they are calling for parliament to be convened and for a majority to be shown for whichever leader has it. That's been the main... uh, international reaction, and I believe the, uh, on economic sanctions, the EU has threatened to stop trade concessions for Sri Lanka if it does not reconvene Parliament and it does not follow the Constitution and the democratic path that it should take to resolve this crisis. And so the Foreign Minister, he, he told you that they're going to reconvene Parliament and have a vote on who should be PM. How, how do you see that turning yeah. out? What's, what's your prediction there? So at the moment, if the vote took place tomorrow, I would say that Wickremesing has the numbers to show a majority in Parliament. However, the Foreign Minister was very confident that by the 14th, Mr. Rajapaksa would win a majority. Now that's still eight days away. Eight days is a long time. And as we've seen already, lawmakers are defecting. There's a lot of bargaining going on behind closed doors. And even one Tamil lawmaker uh, defected to Rajapaksa's camp, which was completely shocking for the Tamils. So there's a lot going on and there's a lot of moving parts. And in the next eight days, 
Rajapaksa could get the numbers that he needs. He needs probably about 10 more people to cross over in the next eight days, and he will have the numbers. Is what I'm told. 113 is the magic number in the 225-seat parliament. But my prediction is, who knows? <laughs> Not really much of a prediction. But today it would be Wickremesing uh, by the 14th. It lo- looks like it could be Rajapaksa. But more interestingly, like what could happen also, there's another prediction, is that Rajapaksa is putting together a budget to present to parliament before that vote. Now, this is interesting because it puts the UNP, Wickremesing's party, in a very awkward position. Because if an if a economic budget is voted down in Parliament, the government can be dissolved and an election can be called. So if they, if they vote in favour of his budget, they are seen to be endorsing him, even though they feel that he's the illegitimate Prime Minister of the country. If they vote it down in rejection of him, they actually will call an election, potentially. And if there is an election, which we could be headed for, if the crisis is not resolved on the 14th correctly, um, then Rajapaksa could win an early election. So not just a parliamentary vote, we could be heading for an election. So there's a lot that could happen in the next month. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, thank you very much for that, Jack. Jack Moore is an assistant foreign editor at The National. You can read his reporting from Sri Lanka at thenational.ae. Thanks for joining us, Jack. I'd also like to thank Karma Gurung for producing. You can find this and all the other national podcasts on our websites or get them off Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audioboom, wherever you like to get your uh, podcasts from. Thanks for listening and goodbye.